0: This is The Guardian. Today, a five-day boat journey to the Chagos Islands and a 50-year struggle for justice for the
1: people of Britain's last colony in Africa.
0: Hello? Hi there,
2: it's Philippe Sands here with Bruno.
0: Hello, Philippe, how are you?
2: Very well, very well. I'm with Bruno, we're in his bathroom, which we're using as a studio.
0: (laughs) Okay. The, The line is good, given everything, given, you know, bathroom, on a boat, in the Indian Ocean, it's pretty good. Oh no, you've just cut out. Philippe Sands is an author and international lawyer. Last week he left the Seychelles, a country off the coast of East Africa, aboard a yacht carrying scientists, journalists and five Chagos Islanders, making an unauthorised trip home. Let's turn to Mauritius, the government there is sending a boat to the disputed Chagos Islands in the Indian Ocean. Now the boat which is to conduct scientific research is We spoke to Philippe, with a little help from Guardian video journalist Bruno Rinvalukri, while they were still on the way.
2: We're two days out of Seychelles. We're exactly halfway, it's a thousand miles. The weather's been mixed, a few hours, pretty choppy, then calm, and we expect to arrive Maitland in two days' time. Olivier
0: Bencu was from Peros Banos one of the islands that makes up the Chagos archipelago.
1: On the boat, we are all uh, excited to see our birthplace. By tomorrow, midday, we will be able to see Peros Banos, one of the main islands where I, myself was born. For the Mauritian government, whose case
0: Philippe is pursuing, it's an opportunity to stake its claim to islands it says was stolen from it by the British government decades ago. For Olivier and the other Chagosians, it's a chance to see home again.
2: For them, it's a very important visit because it's the first time they've gone back without being escorted by the British, shall we say. This
0: is the story of a colonial crime, one that took place in the dying days of the British Empire, out of the view of the British public, and the decades of struggle by survivors to force the UK to rectify it. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, the long road home for the people of the Chagos Islands and why the British government is defying international rulings to stand in their way. (laughs) Olivier was just four years old when his family were removed from their homes. Years later, his sister would write this song about
1: their longing for everything they'd lost. It's my sister who sings that song. I feel very sad because all that she told in that song, it's a reality. She left Chekhov at the age of 13. Talk about the injustice. How could we now leave our buried there without any flowers on the grave? Let me tell you, my great grandfather was born in Peros. My great-grandfather was born in Salomo. My grandmother, mother's side, born in Perosbanos. My mom born in Perosbanos. Me, also, I was born. That means that we have more than five generations been living in Chegos for many years.
0: Philippe, you're representing the Mauritian government in their effort to try to reclaim these islands. What's the background here? Tell me about the Chagos Islands and the
2: people who lived there. It was apparently discovered by Portuguese mariners in the 16th century. It then became a Dutch colony and then a French colony. But the workers, so to speak, they had been brought in as enslaved people. They arrived in quite significant numbers, brought in from Mozambique, Uh, largely, and they worked on these coconut plantations, copra plantations, and in 1814, the French handed it over to the British. By the time the mid-1960s arrived, they've been there for well over 150 years. I mean, six, seven, eight generations.
0: And how did families like Olivier's come to be snatched from their
2: homes? So from 1814 until 1968, Mauritius was a British colony. Part of that colony was called the Chagos Archipelago. And in 1965, as independence for Mauritius came into sight, the British and the Americans cut a secret deal to give one of the 58 islands called Diego Garcia to the Americans as a military base. And in that context, the British decided that in order to do that, they would have to dismember Chagos from Mauritius. And in order to do that legally, they believed if they could argue at the UN that there was no permanent population, they would be able to do it. So they proceeded to remove the entire population, not just from Diego Garcia, but from every other island. That started happening in about 1968. By 1973, five years after Mauritian independence, the entire population of about 2,000 Chagossians had been removed. How do you
0: physically relocate 2,000 people, many of whom I'm sure would have been very unwilling to leave their homes?
2: You do it in appalling ways, lots of different ways. When my mom go to that dispensary in Peros Banos to
1: have treatment for my sister, Olivier's baby sister, still just a toddler, had been seriously injured in a collision with a cart. The nurse told my mom that she had to travel to Mauritius because Mauritius was the only link to Chegos. And when my mom and dad decided to have treatment, we all traveled to Mauritius, but in a view to return, because all our belongings we have left on, on Banos. Just after my sister treatment, we will return back. And fortunately, arriving in, in, in Mauritius, three months after my sister passed away. When my mom and dad decided to return, and at that time we learned that it would be impossible for us because the island had been given to America to build a US military base. We were obliged to live in Mauritius. Philippe, Olivier's story is completely shocking, especially that
0: it was done only a few decades ago. How many people had this done to them?
2: It's totally shocking. This was done in sixty-seven, sixty-eight, And And, you know, quite a large number of people. Then for the people who had not gone to Mauritius or, or elsewhere, I mean, I can tell you the story of Lisby Elieze. She was born in 1953. She lives on Peros Banyas. She described how on a single day, they were rounded up in the evening and told they would be leaving early the next morning before daybreak. And about 400 people on the 29th of April 1973, were put on board a boat and they weren't told why they were leaving, they weren't told that they couldn't come back, they weren't told where they were going, and they were kept in the hold of the vessel and four days later they arrived in Mauritius.
0: What about their their stuff, their, their photo albums, their possessions, their pets? What happened to
2: all of that? They were allowed one wooden chest They were told whatever they could pack into that wooden chest would be put on the boat. Everything else had to be left behind. And one aspect that they were pretty upset about was that they were not allowed to take any pets. They have a lot of pet dogs. The dogs were all rounded up. The British first tried to poison them with strychnine. That didn't work. And they were then gassed. Oh, my God. They killed the dogs? They killed all the dogs, yeah, all the dogs. If you talk with the, the most traumatic aspects of it, the killing of the dogs is pretty much top of the list.
0: I can't quite believe these people, these communities that had lived on the island for generations, were treated basically like property to be moved to a more convenient place. How was all of this seen in the UK?
2: Basically, no one knew about it. None of this went through any act of parliament. It was never debated. It was all done by secret orders in council. By 1973, I was 12, 13 years old. I was studying history at school. I knew nothing about... The Chagos Archipelago. I then went and studied law, I did international law, and really it was only in 2010 when I was hired by the Prime Minister of Mauritius to look at the legal options that I started focusing on And I was pretty shocked, frankly, by my own ignorance. Some of the things that emerged in that litigation was pretty shocking, not least the internal British memoranda from the 1960s when they were working out What to do with the Chagossians, and some very unfortunate material referring to the Chagossians on the Chagos archipelago as Tarzans or Man
1: Fridays. (laughs)
0: And where the Chagossian communities were resettled, how did they fare? I mean, mean, how were they able to to settle and try to rebuild themselves?
2: Well, they fared with great difficulties. The Chagossians here in the UK have spent years trying and failing to get the right to return to what they call their rightful home. They are forcibly deported to Mauritius and to Seychelles and some make their way to the United Kingdom, basically dumped at Gatwick Airport, and they establish a small community at the local town nearest to Gatwick Airport, which is called Crawley. As a second-generation Chagos Islander, she's a British Overseas Territory citizen, but that doesn't pass automatically to her children. In relation to those who were forcibly deported from Peros Banyos, the island that I know the best, they uh, took four days to get to Mauritius, the capital, Port Louis. They arrived, there was no one to meet them, they had no money, they had nowhere to live and they were basically left on their own.
1: We left a paradise. We were dumped Mauritius. We were left in a slum of Mauritius. There was no support mechanism. The British did not look after us.
2: Then in the 1980s, they did receive little driblets of compensation via the British, and with those, They built themselves homes, I've seen their homes, but I think life was incredibly tough. It was a shock for my family
1: to face this kind of life, facing with problems like drugs, alcohol and prostitution, even jobless and bad education.
0: Where did your family go? I mean, where did they end up when they left? Did they, they stay
1: in Mauritius? We stayed in Mauritius for many years. It was very difficult. You know, the type of life that we had in Peros Banos and Salomon in Chagos is very different. I remember my father got a stroke. And suddenly my mom had to work in five different places in order to fill the family. In Chagos, everyone has his own house. We have a job. But arriving in Mauritius, it was very difficult for us, first of all, to adapt ourselves and to find a house, to rent and to have a job but we we were obliged to find out a way.
0: Olivier said the move was very difficult, but that's kind of an understatement. I learned after we talked that he lost three brothers and a sister to drug abuse, alcohol and suicide. Part of a generation of Chagosians who didn't survive what had been done to them. While families like Olivier's struggled to rebuild their lives, back in Chagos... New people were arriving. The biggest island, Diego Garcia, was being transformed.
2: Well, Diego Garcia started as a military base really in 1973. Ironically, its first name was Camp Justice.
0: Diego Garcia is owned by the British, but home to the US Navy and Air Force. The island has everything from swimming pools to basketball courts to even a four-lane bowling alley, but it's set up for serious business.
2: It was essentially supposed to begin as a naval facility to resupply, but over time they built a landing strip and it's now the home to B-1 and B-52 bombers. The base played a major role during the invasion of Iraq in 2003 and planes there have been used in Afghanistan. And, of course, Diego Garcia was a black site used in the program to render detainees, al-Qaeda, another characters around the world, often the stopping off point, it seems, was Diego Garcia. So it's now a pretty significant US military base.
0: Olivier, when you were a boy, did you think about the Chagos Islands? Like, did you ever think that you want to return one day, that that was your real home?
1: I just want to know more about where I was born. After my secondary study, my mom had just encouraged me. She said, you know, you have education, you need to stand up for your people. This is how I've been, become involved. And since uh, at the age of 19, I started to be involved in the struggle, and now I'm proud to lead the main organization, which is Czechoslovakist group, fighting for the fundamental rights of our people. Yes. From
2: a tiny lock-up in the poorest section of Port Louis, Mauritius, Olivia Bancor, an electrician, has taken the struggle across the world.
0: And tell me about that struggle. How have you been fighting to try to get back home?
1: First of all, in 1997, I started legal procedure against the British government. First of all, to challenge the British ordinance 1971, who precludes the right of return. By challenging this law, I won my first historical judgment on 3rd November 2000. Give us back our
0: island! Island. Give us back our Island. island!
2: They're a very, very small community and they've been pretty remarkable. Olivier Bancou. he has been litigating in the English courts. He actually got a positive judgment in 2000 and the then Labour government changed policy and decided that they would allow them to go back. But then Iraq happened and the war on terror and the Labour government, Tony Blair and Jack Straw, changed direction and that was extinguished. After a ban on returning was upheld by the UK Supreme Court this year, campaigners pinned their hopes on a government review. Now Britain says it will instead pay them around $50 million over 10 years. And all the litigation since then has not been successful in changing their legal situation. We do not consider that the right of self-determination actually applies to the Chagossians. In fact... The issue here is one of sustainability and viability. Uh, Then what has happened in parallel is the government of Mauritius has taken up the cause of who owns the islands and the cause of the question of the return of the Chagossians.
0: A humiliating defeat for the UK
2: and its ally the US in the UN General Assembly. And there have been three international cases. In 2015, an arbitral tribunal ruled that the British efforts to conserve the marine environment were illegal. In 2019, the International Court of Justice said decolonization was not complete. And in 2021, the Tribunal for the Law of the Sea ruled decisively, in a binding judgment, that Mauritius is the coastal state. And in the midst of all of that, the UN General Assembly passed a resolution which got overwhelming support in May 2019, which said two things. First, Chagos belongs to Mauritius, it's part of its territory. And second, the Chagossians have the right to return. And there was a third thing too, the UK must leave by November 2019.
0: The Mauritian Prime Minister has called the United Kingdom an illegal colonial occupier after it ignored a UN deadline to hand back the Chagos Islands.
2: Britain... The British government concocted in the early 2000s the idea of bringing the Chagossians back to visit their homeland, to tidy up the graves. Uh, and those were given the dreadful title of heritage visits. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Olivier, you've been part of one of those heritage visits. What was that like?
1: Always a visit had been done by UK government, but escorted by policemen. Everywhere where we move, there is uh, always a policeman who just uh, look out for us, all our action.
0: I mean, how did that feel for you to be in the place where your family had been removed from, but with a a policeman watching you?
1: Oh, it's something very, very embarrassing because they consider that you commit an offence. Whereas you never committed, it's something just to return to your roots and especially the place where we were born. And to be accompanied by someone you, you look like, uh, rub something, which is not good, you see?
0: Were the police friendly with you or, or were they a little bit hostile?
1: No, unfortunately, their behaviour was not good. They just said that we have only two or three hours to spend on the, on the island and we had to go. Frankly, it is very shameful to behave like that.
0: So that was the first time you'd been to your home on the island since you were just a little kid and you were only allowed there for a couple of hours. What had happened to the house where you grew up?
1: Everything had been demolished because it was built by a small hut, coconut tree. If you don't maintain a house
2: like that, of course, you will demolish. demolished. One of the ways of looking at this is asking yourself the question, what is the difference between the community that lives in the Falkland Islands, Malvinas, and the community that lives or lived in Chagos Archipelago? They're both about 2,000 in number. There is only one difference, and that is the color of the people's skin.
1: Frankly, I think because they are white people and they have blue eyes. Whereas we, we came from African origin. We are coming from slaves. This is why we we got this kind of treatment. And it's very, 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 very sad. The way of treatment that the UK government gave to the Sagotian people, we're still suffering and still continue to let our people suffering and still continue to deny our fundamental right to leave us all human beings on his birthplace.
0: So, after a half-century of struggle and a five-day sea journey, this past Saturday. A boat has arrived in the disputed Chagos archipelago in the Indian Ocean.
1: This is a hugely significant moment
2: in the tug of war between Britain and Mauritius over ownership of the... It
0: fell country. to <laughs> Olivier Chagos to put the feelings of the Chagos Islanders into words.
1: Welcome everyone in, a, in our birthplace, where I, Marcel and Lisby was born. Really, it was a paradise where people live in peace and harmony. This trip is so important.
0: As he spoke, he was watched by journalists, Mauritian government officials and scientists. But this time, no soldiers, no policemen.
1: If we are here, we are not coming as tourists, no. We are coming in a pilgrim, especially to pay tribute. There, all this abandoned place where we have our brothers, our sisters, our grandparents, our parents buried there, who had been abandoned for so many years. But
0: if you look the five at Chagosians, at Jeboga, the first of their people to freely return, kneeled, kissed the sand, said a prayer. Before they left, the Mauritian flag was raised above the land that's still officially British Indian Ocean Territory.
1: But no one can know our sufferings more than we. No one can know our sufferings more than we, what, what we have been passed. The forcible remove. As a deportation, the forcible exile. Everything that we have, we have been faced, it just goes, we are not asking more. We are not asking less. We are asking our right as human beings. Thank you, my brothers and sisters.
0: Coming up. After Saturday's historic landing, what's the future of the Chagosian struggle to go home? Philippe, you're representing the faction of Chagosians who do want these islands returned to Mauritian control. And it's important to say that that isn't the view of all Chagos islanders. There are some who disagree with that strategy, but they all agree that they want to return. And I want to know, is there any precedent for that, for people who were forcibly cleared from their land decades later to try and make a comeback and
2: successfully do it? I'm not aware of any case which has gone to international law in this way, in which the right of return has been at the heart, and in which, if you like, a precedent has been set in the context of decolonization, and that characterizes this particular story, makes it special, that a community that has been removed is allowed to go back, even on a visit like we're making now. So I think it's a very significant historic case. There's another reason that it's historic, the Chagos Archipelago is Britain's last colony in Africa or was Britain's last colony in Africa. It's still occupying it uh, illegally. So this is really sunset on empire, at least on the African part of the British Empire, and I think that makes it a very historic case.
0: Mm, the, the, the kind of work of, of British decolonization is ongoing and its next front line is, is the Chagos Islands.
2: Well, I think we're almost there, not just in terms of this journey uh, on a boat, but in terms of encouraging, should we say, the British government of today to recognise the game is up, we're actually beginning to see, we think, the first signs of recognition. that Their position is untenable. It really is only a question of time. It's not whether the UK recognises its time is up, but when.
0: Olivier, so many Chagosians who were forced from their lands have died. You're in your 50s now, and nearly all of your life has taken place off the islands. Have you ever, in this long struggle, thought to yourself,
1: too much time has passed, maybe we need to just move on? Not never, never too late, my friend, never too late, because, you know, everyone in this world would like to know about where they come from. Everyone in this world wants to know about their roots. Why not Chagosians? Why not Sagosian? Do you
0: believe that one day you'll live again in Paraspaños? Like can you you imagine it happening?
1: Of course, of course. It's my dream because not only me, I just want my children to know. Not only my children, but all the children of the Sagosian community.
0: One of the reasons the British government gives for not allowing you to go back is that they say the island is uninhabitable, that it's not possible to live there anymore. And all the adult Chagossians who did once live there are now very old. What do you say to that?
1: We have a plan. We have a plan. We have a project. We need to build houses with all facilities, utilities important that need to be used for a human being. We know it could take time, but we are very excited to continue to plan to make things prepare for our future.
0: That was Olivier Bankou, a Chagos Islander who's part of the delegation of his people who went home unsupervised for the first time this past weekend. Thanks so much to him for speaking with us and also to Philippe Sands, an international lawyer representing the Mauritian government. You can read all our coverage of the homecoming of the Chagosian people at theguardian.com. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Sammy Kent. Special thanks to Guardian video journalist Bruno Rinvalucri, who was on the boat. Sound design was by Axel Cacoutier. The executive producers are Mithley Rao and Phil Maynard. Back tomorrow. This is
1: The Guardian.